It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. This is the Cork Today replay on C103. As we welcome you along to the programme, we have been discussing so much across uh, this week is to do with the late Tim O'Sullivan, the man from Kerry, who was discovered actually it was this day last uh, week. Uh, he was discovered in his little house in Beecher Street in Mallow, where it's now believed he laid for more than uh, 20 years. Well, his family have now issued a statement and um they had made many, many attempts, it seems, to contact him over the years and they had always hoped that he was alive and well. So we have the statement that has been issued by the late Tim O'Sullivan's family. And this is a statement that has been read this morning by our head of news, Barry uh, O'Mahony. We, the family of Timothy O'Sullivan, would like to state that while we are heartbroken and very upset at the circumstances of our dear Timothy's death, We are simultaneously relieved and happy that the ultimate question that has haunted us for many years of his whereabouts circumstances has been resolved and that we as a family can lay him to rest with his family as is his right. Timothy O'Sullivan was born in 1939 in England. He worked as a compositor in a printing works in the UK and was a very bright, intelligent and able man and came to Kerry often on his holidays with his wife. He purchased a house in Mallow and moved there later in his life when his marriage broke down. Reports have been made in the media in recent days that Tim struggled with his mental health, but really it was more a case of a man with a broken heart who wished for privacy and time to be alone to come to terms with his separation, as was his right. Ireland at that time was not similar to the Ireland of today, where people are in constant contact via messaging apps and mobile phones, but Timothy did keep regular contact with all of his family. He spoke about returning to the UK again, but nothing was set in stone. However, then, after a while, communication from Tim had ceased. His family made every effort to locate him. They visited his house in Mallow several times, but had no method of access without breaking and entering. It was reported to the authorities who said the matter was looked into thoroughly, that there was nobody living in the house, and that from investigations made locally, it was certain he had returned to the UK, and that was where the family should continue to search. Our family had always hoped and prayed that Tim was alive and happy, but unfortunately all those hopes were dashed on Tuesday last when we heard of his passing. All we can do now is respectfully ask the media for privacy and time to grieve our Tim in what for us is an ultimate worst-case scenario situation and give us time to afford us an opportunity to grieve the loss of Tim and to come to terms with the whole situation. 
It is not a time for recrimination. We merely want to lay our Timothy to rest in peace. Ah, such a lovely statement. And as I say, that is from the family of uh, the late uh, Tim O'Sullivan. But, you know, uh, there is one, I suppose, question that really does have to be answered when you listen to that statement from uh, from the family. And I see that Barry Roach, uh, the Southern correspondent with the Irish Times, is picking up on it as well. And he's actually contacted the Garda Press Office for a comment in relation to, to the family saying in their statement that they contacted the authorities and they were advised that uh, Tim's disappearance had been investigated thoroughly and the Gardaí were certain that he had returned to the United uh, Kingdom. And of course, we now know that that wasn't the case, that he was actually uh, lying dead in that little uh, house. But uh, listen, thank you to the family for that uh, statement. And, uh, you know, as we've been saying all week, there's so much shock and sadness around this uh, news. And we once again uh, offer our condolences to Tim's family and uh, may Tim rest in peace. 0818103103 and another story that I have to say almost had me gasping for breath when I, when I read it and saw it is to do with all of the papers are carrying the picture of this beautiful, happy, smiley little four month old baby girl, Mia O'Connell, pretty in pink, just beautiful, beautiful, healthy, gorgeous, happy four month old baby. Her picture is carried, as I said, on all of the papers. Many of the red tops are running it as the, the on the front page of their papers. And the reason we're talking about little Mia O'Connell today is uh, she was the subject of the Cork coroner's uh, court yesterday and the Cork coroner, Philip Common, recording a verdict of death by misadventure. For little four months old Abia Mia, she had been fatally mauled by the family pet um, as she slept in a Moses basket in the family home in Clashmore in County Waterford. And it happened back in June of 2021. The coroner explained he was opting for misadventure verdict after hearing that the dog, now the dog, by the way, was a terrier dashhound cross. The dog had previously snapped at the baby after she'd been brought home from the maternity hospital in March of last year. The inquest heard evidence from Mia's mother, Ella, that uh, she always felt uncomfortable whenever the dog was anywhere near her daughter. And it was Mia's grandmother, Noreen, who said she had repeatedly asked her partner, Barry, who obviously owned the dog, uh, to get rid of the dog after, particularly after the dog snapped at the little baby when the baby came home from hospital. The coroner said it was vital now that lessons were learned from this tragedy. He went on to urge all dog owners to be conscious of the dangers posed by even the most friendliest of pets, Uh, to children uh, because they are so vulnerable. The inquest heard that the terrier was apparently jealous of the little girl and jealous of the attention that was being taken from him in the family home and instead being put on to the baby uh, girl. Mr Cummins says what we can learn from this what can we learn from this terrible tragedy? He said at the end of the day what do we learn? We learn that a dog even a beloved family pet is still an animal and can still be unpredictable. And uh, little Mia was the first um, and only child of this young couple, Ella Wood and her partner, Reese O'Callum. Uh, she would been born. Uh, she would been born in February twenty second, twenty twenty one. And uh, it, it, what seemingly happened was the what the inquest heard happened was that the 
whenever the child was in, whenever the, the dog slipped into the house, the dog didn't live in the house. The dog slept in a kennel in an alley at the side of the family home. Now, I assume at some stage the dog probably was in the house. But if he ever slipped inside the house, he was immediately ushered back out again. And on that particular day when the mauling happened, Mia was teething and she was fed and then she was put up to bed uh, on the evening of June the 6th and they had some relatives visiting and they were all having eating dinner downstairs and it was her aunt went up to check and when her aunt went up to check she was horrified to discover the infant lying on the bedroom floor with the dog standing over her now there was obviously no noise they didn't hear screams they didn't hear the dog growling nothing like that the aunt literally had gone up just to check to see how the baby was doing now the Gardaí Waterford Fire Brigade the paramedics all rushed to the scene and Mia was then immediately transferred to Cork University Hospital where attempts to stabilise her condition failed and then she was pronounced dead in the early hours of the following morning and the assistant state pathologist Dr Margaret Bolster she had awful job of conducting the post-mortem examination and she found that Mia died from severe brain trauma due to fractures to the skull and multiple lacerations and she said it was all consistent with an animal attack involving a dog and to me what was utterly heartbreaking at the coroner's court yesterday was when Mia's father queried whether his daughter would have suffered and Margaret Bolster says it would have been very quick and she wouldn't have felt any pain, which hopefully they can take some comfort from. And also it was announced at the coroner's court that the dog was uh, euthanized uh, within days of the tragedy. But it's just it's one of those nightmares that no family ever wants to go through. And the whole thing so upsetting that it actually Ella, her mother, wasn't even strong enough she was too obsessed she wasn't even able to attend the inquest yesterday uh, she was represented I'd, I'd say it was by her sister uh, was there yesterday and obviously little Mia's dad was there as well it's just one of those shocking shocking cases but it goes back again uh, and you know as the coroner pointed out even the quietest and even the most beloved of family pets you can never ever trust that you know a dog might be feeling unwell it could be sick it could just have a vicious strain in it you're, you're never to know and they can just be so unpredictable and, and you know and it looked like they were doing everything that they never left the child alone in the house or in a room with the dog it was she was up the little baby was put to bed after feeding uh, after a feed and obviously the fact she'd been teething she'd probably been irritable all day god love her and the family thought well she's gone asleep let's have something to eat they you know visitors over they were all you know having something to eat believing that she was you know peacefully asleep and somehow the dog managed to slip into the house and went up the stairs and into the bedroom where this little baby was asleep in her Moses basket just so so sad. A lot of people saying just how sorry they were to hear about that story of that little girl or that little baby girl in County Waterford mauled to death by the family pet but people one person saying you should never bring a baby into a house where there is a dog in the house. The dog can become very jealous of the child. Well lots of families managed to integrate uh, managed to integrate the dog in with uh, children uh, but it's just you've got to be so so uh, careful uh, and that's what somebody else uh, is saying. You've got to be particularly mindful of a family pet particularly a much loved 
pet family pet because pets can get je- jealous the very fact that this dog breed was a cross between a terrier and another dog it was a terrier and a dachshund cross terriers are known for being territorial says somebody's sympathies to the family of that little baby this is Cork Today on C103 email Patricia now with your story or comment Cork Today at C103.ie now we had calls to the programme and texts uh, yesterday from listeners who said that they were appalled and shocked to hear that West Cork Social Democrat Dáil Deputy Holly Kearns was the subject of threats from a stalker and had also received various online abuse. Deputy Holly Kearns uh, joins me uh, this morning. Good morning to you, Holly. Good morning, Patricia. And you're, you're very welcome. And obviously, I'm not going to get into the specifics of what happened for obvious reasons with the, the, the stalker. But initially, did you, did you try to handle the situation yourself? Um, I did, yeah, initially, and um, I did end up contacting Gardaí after some time. But um, yeah, it's difficult to know how to, I think, uh, react to those situations when you're not prepared for it. And I don't think anybody really is in Ireland. I don't think we really expect for there to be that kind of abuse level at anybody. And it's not just TDs, I suppose, that experience it. You know, we see it in lots of professions in public life, you know. And when you then decided that, you know, enough was enough and you needed to go to the Gardaí, what advice and what help were they able to give you? I found the guards really helpful and supportive in West Cork. They were fantastic. They did everything they could. And um, they did encourage me to make a statement and to kind of go officially to court and all of that stuff. But you know yourself, if you if you do that, then that trial can be, you know, anyone can go in. It's all followed by the media and it would you know, I suppose one of the things is that I realised over the last few weeks, your listeners might have heard of the story of Minister Anne Rabbit and Deputy Cannon had a bag of faeces thrown at them. Yeah, at, the, at that public meeting, that, yeah. Yeah, and so after that, there was quite a lot of media coverage and I got loads of calls from, like, different uh, TV programmes, chat shows and radio stations and everything. Would I come on and talk about abuse the TV's get? And I said, no, no, no. Every time I didn't want to, I've never wanted to speak about it publicly. And there's a reason for that, because uh, you don't want to deter people from going into politics by kind of saying what it's like. But these stories are out there. There's a perception that it will draw more abuse in you if you kind of speak about maybe some of the experiences that you've had. Um, And particularly as a woman in politics, you don't want to be perceived as weak because sometimes that presumption is there, regardless of what you're doing or saying. And the result was that I noticed there's a collective silence. So none of the TDs wanted to speak about it. Because as you can imagine, if you're going for an election campaign, you go, what look are we going for? It's not the victim. You know, no one wants I to know. be perceived like that. But then we had this collective silence. Some people were speaking anonymously to the paper. Uh, no women went on the primetime programme about it. And it just kind of occurred to me that, like, what is that collective silence going to achieve? It's not going to make it safer for people coming into politics if we don't address this situation, if we kind of just stay quiet about it. And, you know, when you consider what's already happened, because obviously everyone has their different stories, but like somebody's already set fire to a TD's car. Mm. So I kind of had the feeling we're just waiting for something bad to happen before we really act on this. And, you know, the first p- part of kind of addressing a situation is to at least be able to discuss it. So I have to say, I don't particularly enjoy talking about it. Yeah. I don't particularly like it. But, 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 it, but, it's it's, but, but it is, Holly, it's important to talk about it. You know, you and others uh, that have this abuse hurled at you have done nothing wrong. And it needs to be called out for what it is. 
that's it. And we need to also examine, I don't know when it became that way in Ireland that you would throw essentially a bag of shit at a minister when people turning up at TD's houses, the, the piece in the Irish Times the weekend, somebody found bullet shells on their doorstep. That's kind of real threat to somebody's safety in their home, you know. And we haven't even, because we don't have a public discussion about it in a way, we haven't even really identified the different types of abuse. Because I think oftentimes the kind of abuse that's levelled at female politicians is different. But there's abuse at both. And there's probably a different way of addressing the different kinds of abuse that we're getting. I think throwing a bag of feces at a minister is an act of anger, perhaps about a situation in the country. You know, And we have to kind of examine that type of abuse. Is it that... The kind of discourse we see on social media and stuff now has started, you know, it's kind of we always thought of it as keyboard worries. They wouldn't do that in real life. They're behind a screen. Mm. Is it seeping out into how we live our life in general that it's seen as in any way OK to throw that at anybody? Um, is it that things like the housing crisis and the trolley crisis have gotten so bad that people feel they have nothing to lose? I'm not excusing it. I'm not saying oh, because of that, it's OK to throw something at a minister. But we need to really look at what's going on and ask how we can address it. And then something like the kind of stalking of, of public representatives and the, in the kind of veil or the pretense of that being romantic when it's obviously not. That's a kind of a different situation. And maybe that when we're looking at that, that's more of a kind of uh, a society of violence against women that we, we still have. Two women have been murdered this year already, still January. Mm -hmm. And I think there's all these different types of abuse happening and people outside of public life are experiencing them as well. And nobody wants to talk about it when they're the person that it's happened to, because it's just not a nice place to be. And we know we see that um, it's a completely separate issue, but it's kind of relevant in that, for example, with um, rape cases in Ireland, less than one percent of victims get justice. A lot of that is because nobody wants to come forward because of how victims are treated. So we have a situation where there's a societal problem as well around it. And I think it, it seeps into loads of different things. And there's probably loads of different things we need to do to address it. Yeah, and, but, and, that, and that's why it's good that we're talking about it. And it's good that you have come forward. Exactly. And I think as well, part of my my reluctance and I think all politicians reluctance to speak about it. And that's why we saw only anonymous articles and nobody wanted to know in primetime is that I'm aware there are much more horrific situations happening in the country at the moment. You know, like we're talking about potentially a TD not feeling safe in their home. And some people don't have a home to not feel safe in. So I think that adds to the reluctance to talk about it as well. And it's important that we are aware of that. Yeah, there yeah. is bigger issues yeah, at play. Yeah. Okay. And you've and you've had to almost change the way you live and work. I mean, you've had to put security cameras on your house. You're mindful of doing constituency clinics. Yeah. So, you know, yourself, like you live in West Cork, we didn't I don't have uh, I didn't have a lock for my door. I didn't have blinds. I didn't. You know, I'd, I'd leave the key in the car um, and it's so nice to live in a place like that. It's what I love about West Cork. But that's how kind of maybe naive or unprepared I was for kind of what life might be like in politics. And um, I had received lots of different kinds of abuse, like online and in, uh, in the post, sometimes sent to my home address. So I probably should have been more conscious of that. But to me, I always just ignored it. And I thought it wasn't that's just you know, something to not even take seriously. But it was when somebody turned up my home that I then felt differently um, about anything that I got. If somebody sent me a letter or a message or anything like that, I felt like that was potentially somebody who could turn up my home. So it really kind of changed just the way I thought and felt. And I did get locks, blinds, CCTV installed. And 
like I said, the guards were really kind of conscious. And you can imagine from the guards' perspective, if somebody gets in touch with them about situations like this happening, I was giving them kind of stuff that was sent to me and telling them about um, that individual turning up my house, things like that. They're thinking, how do we make sure nothing bad happens here? So what, some of the advice that they gave me was to not have um, your kind of traditional constituency clinic that your listeners would see advertised in the paper where they say, I'll be in Skibreen at this time, I'll be in Castletown Bear then, and then I'll be in Bandon. And, you know, you kind of list the times and anyone can come in and talk to you about a particular issue. And, and that's what's so wonderful about our political system, that our politicians are so accessible. Because, you know, there's other countries you would not have that type of, of accessibility. And if you are being told not to hold constituency clinics or advertise them, does that not put you at a disadvantage to the other politicians in your constituency who can hold those constituency clinics? It does 100 percent. Yeah. And that's when you really start to feel the impact that it has on how you operate and how you work and that that shouldn't be the case um, now of course when people get in touch with us in the office we very often arrange to meet people in the same kind of way yeah and you know it, we still i i believe do exactly the same job but we can't do that open advertisement of where i'll be at a certain time alone unfortunately um but in many ways as well patricia i think that's something that we've always traditionally done in the clinics and ha- having not been able to do them i've realized that it's not maybe the most efficient way of doing um, TD's job anyway, because if you say I'm going to be in Skibreen from nine to 12, for example, what if nobody comes in during that time? It's not a good use of your time. Can be a waste. Yeah, 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 that's true. That's true. Maybe there may be a positive. There may be a positive out of this. And when you were a councillor, a Cork County Council, did you receive any online abuse then? A bit, yeah. I think it's gradually increased. Like you get, and I think it's probably, I don't know, but I think it's probably a numbers game. So if you're um, a county councillor, this many people are aware of you. If you become an election candidate, this many people are aware of you. If you become a TD, even more. And I think there was probably a steady increase of use in terms of how many more people just became aware of me. And I suppose then there's just a percentage that will level a certain type of abuse at you. And I think it just grew kind of gradually with that. And before you entered politics, did this type of abuse ever enter your head that, that this is what was possibly could happen? No, no, definitely not. I remember people warning me when I was thinking of going for even the local elections, like you know, people would always say that politics is a dirty game. Don't get into it. Um, it is, you know, the abuse, all of these things. And I genuinely thought that people meant abuses in people saying you're wrong and challenging your opinions and all of that stuff, which is healthy and democratic. <laughs> you know, we need that kind of um, to and fro between the general public and politicians all the time. We have to protect that. Um, but I never, it never occurred to me that perhaps maybe what they were worrying about was this type of abuse. I'm still not sure if that's what they meant. I know. But I was really shocked by it. And I do think that perhaps one of the really basic things that we could do in terms of public representatives is like after an election to kind of just even give a bit of a briefing to people to say this may or may not happen there's no harm in ensuring that you have you know locks on your doors and things like that to be just aware because not to scare people but i think that's better than being kind of blindsided like i wasn't not really ever even thinking that that would happen yeah, yeah um, that's a good so point kind of but you're you're a great td and 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 i hope that this isn't going to turn you off staying in politics Absolutely not. And, 
um, so, no, um, um, you know, I do think somebody asked me during the week, you know, would you have gone into politics if you knew that? Like, I can't say that I, if you said to somebody now, like, oh, this might happen to you, this might happen to you, would you like to go into politics? No. But would I change it? Not, not at all. I'm so glad that I went into this job. I absolutely love it. Um, I'll certainly be running in the next election. No intentions of stepping down in Prathmeadale whatsoever. Okay, but that's... I think it's important that we say to people who might be thinking of going for election, we're going to do something about this and make it better rather okay. than, oh, yeah, I don't. I would absolutely go into politics knowing that it's like this. We have to recognise it's an issue and we have to do something about it because we desperately need, I think, more diversity in politics. Uh, we need more in, in every which way, more nationalities, more women, more disabled people. It, it goes across the board. And I just think it's better to say we acknowledge that it doesn't look that tempting at the moment and we'll try and do something about it rather than just kind of saying, no, it's absolutely fine. Yeah, and just <laughs> it, and, yeah, don't and, don't, and don't brush it under the carpet. A <laughs> lot of support, a lot of people uh, saying well done and well done for you on speaking out, including Councillor Declan Hurley, says Patricia. I want to offer my support to Deputy Holly Kearns and say how shocked and saddened, saddened I also was to hear what she had been through. Just because one is in public uh, life does not permit anyone to harass or invade one's private life. Nobody deserves or should be subjected to harassment of any sort, be that in private or in public life in whatever profession they choose to go down but it's obvious political life seems to attract this behaviour I want to applaud Holly for her courage in highlighting this unacceptable behaviour and I hope it'll start a movement said Declan to stop this senseless uh, behaviour best wishes to Holly and that's from uh, Councillor uh, Declan uh, Hurley okay and before I let you go um, Holly I mean also making all of the papers stay of course was the news yesterday that Jacintha Ardan the uh, New Zealand Prime Minister has decided to uh, step down and uh, she said she's literally got nothing left uh, in the tank. Does that also raise questions, you know, what her departure means for women in politics? I think it's it's, a, it's mixed emotions, isn't it? I think I'm a big fan of Jacinda Hearn. Yeah. I was really sad to see her step down. And I also thought it was brave that she was you know, kind of saying, I've I've emptied the tank, the next person can take it on instead of continuing to c- just kind of keep going when you've kind of checked out, perhaps. And maybe there's only so much in anyone's tank. I'm not sure. But when I saw that press statement of her saying she was finally going to um, get around to having a wedding with her partner, that she was going to be there for her daughter's first day of school, all of those things, you can imagine it's a huge sacrifice when you go into politics and you know, people give up a lot. And I think um, it perhaps is particularly difficult for Jacinda Hearn, who was starting a family uh, during that time um, and doing all of those things that, you know, I suppose we need to recognise that a lot needs to change to make uh, politics. Yeah, because the, wor- the world of politics, particularly in New Zealand, loses out because she was very popular uh, as well. OK, and Holly, just very, very finally, because our, our next interview, we're going to be talking about the the, the agreement between Quilta and that UK based private investment fund, Gresham House. And I saw you speaking out in the doll uh, about it yesterday. And I thought you raised a really good question wh- when you asked uh, why should uh, Quilta do all the work and then private investors will reap all of the uh, rewards do you feel that forestry targets could be meet, could be met by our own farmers if they were properly incentivised? 
hundred percent they could. And I mean, we've just seen this time and time again. It's like that's such a familiar story, isn't it? That we give all of the profits to a private company. We've seen it in health, we've seen it in housing. And I was pointing out to the now Taunister yesterday that the only silver lining of this case is that it's highlighted that this has been happening in agriculture for decades. To take that investment out of rural communities and give it to a private investment company in the UK is just outrageous. And it's the same playbook that we've seen in health and in housing. And actually the same thing's been happening in agriculture for so long, but we don't have the same laser focus on it by, you know, kind of national media outlets, all of that th those things that we say, you know, what are the targets that the Minister for Agriculture was supposed to meet this month, like we do for the Minister for Housing? What is the, you know, the number of trolleys? We don't see that with the number of trees. And it's high time there was more of a focus on this because food producers are farmers. That's where everything starts. It's the most vital work in the country and it's not being monitored. We've seen over and over again the, the kind of prioritisation of vested interests and private interests over the general public, the food producers. So, for example, you don't see supermarkets ever saying, you know, we just can't make ends meet. We're losing money. We're selling this stuff at a loss. <laughs> but of course, for example, beef farmers often are. Mm. There isn't even a market for wool yeah. for sheep yeah. farmers. You know, so it's the same playbook and it's happening in agriculture. This is one example of it. It's been happening in beef and dairy and other sectors, I think, for a long time. OK, we're going um, to be discussing it in, in more detail in a moment, uh, Holly, but I've, I'm over on time. I've got it even there. Listen, thank you for that. And thanks for joining us on the programme this morning. Really appreciate it. Thanks, Patricia. Good morning to you. Bye bye. Uh, that is a Social Democrat TD for West Cork, Holly Kearns. Tim and Clonakilty says the public feel that they can say what they want to anyone now, anytime. There's always been a problem over the years on social media, but I feel now it has crept more and more into society. You can see it in restaurants, you can see it in supermarkets. The way certain people will talk to members of the staff uh, as if they are dirt, it has to end. 0818 103 103. Cork today on C1. With Corrigan Insurance's McCroom, now part of McCarthy Insurance Group. They don't just talk the talk, they walk the walk. CMIG.ie. Now, TDs, wildlife organisations, and farming groups have all called for a rethink of Quilta's Forestry Partnership with the British Investment Fund, with Deputy Jackie Cahill, who's chair of the Agricultural Committee, calling the plan not just politically wrong, but morally wrong. Irish Wildlife Trust, a charity that aims to conserve and encourage. Irish Wildlife is also against the plan and um, Podrick Fogarty their campaign officer uh, from the Irish Wildlife Trust uh, joins me Good morning to you Porik. Good morning And you're, you're very welcome I suppose just to try and get a bit of background for those who are not aware of this plan can you outline what this partnership with this firm who are called Gresham House what it's all about yeah, so it's it's important actually. There's two different things here that may be getting conflated. Um, the first thing is there's a new forest strategy that is being developed. It's going to be published uh, in the coming weeks, and a lot of work has gone into this. And this will aim to draft of all different kinds of uh, of forests. Now, one of the problems we have with that is that that is still going to be largely based on a model of monocultures and clear felling. And so, from a from an ecological point of view, from a wildlife point of view, uh, this is a, this is a big problem. Now, as a result of that, Quilter, which is the state uh, forestry agency, also has plans to increase uh, its forest cover. But Quilter can't apply for public subsidies in the way that farmers can or private investment funds can. And so. Uh, uh, that is why we're seeing uh, this deal with a foreign 
investment firm that is looking at buying up some Quilcha land and also being used to buy new land uh, where more Sitka spruce plantations uh, will be planted. Yeah, because obviously this is uh, an investment fund. They're in the business of making money. Is there a danger that only the most commercially viable trees will be planted? Oh, absolutely. I mean, this is purely about uh, about the numbers. It's just about the money. And in a way, uh, I have some sympathy for Quilcha because the way that the government set Quilcha up was to make money. They are not uh, in the business of protecting the environment or making habitat for nature. They are in the business of turning timber into profit. Uh, and so one of the things that uh, wildlife organisations, including our own, have been calling for for a long time is for that mandate to change. We, that would require a change in the law, a change in the Forestry Act. Uh, so we need politicians really to get involved in this. They have more or less allowed Quilcia just to get on with it. And as long as Quilcia have been turning a profit, which they have been doing, uh, they've been happy uh, for that to continue. But I mean, as you can see, there's a huge public disquiet over this. Uh, once again, we're putting money and profit ahead of uh, communities, ahead of water quality, ahead of a healthy environment. And, and that really needs to change. Yeah, and one of our own local uh, politicians here here in Cork, um, Holly Kearns of the Social Democrats, yesterday in the Dáil in a debate, pointed out that, you know, Quilta will end up doing all the work, but the private investors then will reap all the rewards. Oh yeah, it does. It doesn't. Uh, it doesn't stack up. Uh, and once again, I mean, the forestry strategy, which I was referring to, which is much bigger than Quilcha, will see 1.3 billion euro of taxpayers' money. Forestry is 100% funded by the taxpayer because really planting trees doesn't make an awful lot of the economic sense. Uh, so, uh, if we continue on this purely for profit motive, we're going to see an awful lot, an awful lot of that money just being funneled into uh, private investment funds, uh, whether that's Quilcher or whether that's other companies coming in doing it. Uh, So really, we need to change that. One of the things that we have been campaigning for is for the state to get much more involved and for the state to buy land uh, that would obviously then be in public ownership. Those could be used to create new nature reserves, new native forests, uh, get local communities involved in managing these areas and looking after it. And therefore, we could meet our climate and our biodiversity goals, but also create something that I think that uh, communities and the people of Ireland could be proud of into the future. Okay, somebody wants to know, could you ask Patrick, is it a done deal? Or can he see the decision being reversed? Well, I don't. I don't know. I wouldn't be privy to the details uh, of Quilch's uh, deals. Uh, I did see uh, uh, the Tornish and the Minister for the Environment come out and say that they wanted to see the rules changed around how uh, Quilch can access subsidies, uh, uh, and also the Tornish said that he would like to see the the state buying land to get into this business. So, uh, I think actually the deal is is a relatively small area of land. Uh, I don't think on its own it would be, uh, you know, that much of a problem. But obviously it would be the thin end of the wedge. So if this was the last of it and we saw a new model where the state was buying land for nature, conservation and forestry and biodiversity, I think that is something that could address the problem. And is there also a real fear that farmers could be priced out of the market? That's what a lot of farming organisations are saying. 
well, I mean, we have a free market uh, in land. Uh, you know, farmers are entitled to buy and sell land as they will. I mean, if the price goes up, some farmers will benefit from that. Uh, and I mean, of course, if you have competition for land, uh, which we see at the moment, there's huge competition for land because there's dairy expansion. Uh, we have very, these very ambitious targets for forestry. Uh, there's a lot of money, as I pointed out, going into forestry. So that is going to heat up the land market in general. Okay, all right, listen, we leave it there, uh, Porik. Thank you for that and thanks for joining us on the programme. Thank you. Uh, Good morning to you. That is uh, Porik Fogarty, who is the campaigns officer uh, with the Irish Wildlife Trust. Now, I did uh, read that uh, Quilta are saying that they will not sell out any existing publicly owned forests to this fund because people are saying if if the land is sold to this fund, does that mean, you know, your walk through the forest? Will that completely be gone? But Quilta said anything that they publicly own um, will not be sold to the fund. Now, they say, will any public body sell land to this fund at Gresham House. Any land purchased by the fund will already be in private ownership and no private landlord will be forced to sell land to the fund. But I know that within the farming community, they are particularly nervous that if a local farmer wants to go and buy land and obviously will be buying it from a private landowner or a neighbouring farm, whatever it was. And then if you had this investment fund that will have a lot more money to spend they would simply be able to outprice somebody who might be buying, trying to buy land in their area. And I know, you know, uh, certainly people are very, very worried about that. I mean, the, Agri- the Agriculture Committee chairperson, Jackie Cal, uh, who I mentioned in the introduction, said that it, he, that it won't rest easy with anyone that investment companies could draw down premiums for forestry that was intended for uh, farmers. And then at the back of all of that, I think, is this the very fact that it is a British company, just happens to be a British company, that Quilta have done the deal with. That isn't sitting well with some people either. Your thoughts welcomed 0818 uh, John Paul continues to take your calls. You can text, you can WhatsApp to 0862103103. And of course, we're also, um, um, we take your emails to Patricia at to Cork Today at c103.ie. Cork Today on C103. With Corrigan Insurance's McCroom, now part of McCarthy Insurance Group. Want great advice? You know who to talk to. CMIG.ie. You're listening to Cork Today on Replay. Phone and text lines are currently closed. Now, following on uh, from my chat that I had about this, um, the call for Quilta to rethink their partnership with this British investment firm called Grisham House. It's part of an afforestation deal with uh, Quilta. Eddie and Mallow, sa- Mallow says a lot of this is tax free, the purchasing of forestry. So investors, of course, will put money into the lands because of the tax free benefits. That's why they're availing of it. They're going to make more money without risk of uh, taxes. And, they, you know, I did make that point when I was talking with Porrick from the Irish uh, Wildlife trust at the end of the day this is an investment company they're not coming into Ireland for the greater good of the Irish economy or the greater good of afforestation in Ireland they're here to make money that's what investment uh, companies uh, do Dennis O'Callaghan is vice president of the ICSA and he's contacted us on uh, this issue good morning to you Dennis good morning Patricia how are you I'm I'm very well thank you I know a lot of farming organisations are fearful about the cost of land 
uh, going up. It, 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 would, that, would, that, would that be one of your fears? Well, first, can I say thanks for having me on? And uh, it's too late in the month yet to wish you a happy new year. And many, many happy returns. Um, yes, of course. We're very worried that uh, we have, look, we had young farmers contact us there in the last week. Uh, who are in maybe in a position, they've invested heavily over the last maybe five years and may find themselves in a position or where they could uh, purchase uh, parcels of land. And look, I suppose the fear is that we've seen quilt, uh, we've seen good land planted, if you know, if I could put it that way, at you, right? Mm-hmm. And, you know, uh, you know, it's not just quilt. Quilt is a government body, really, right? And I think we should be calling on the government and our local TDs and so forth to support what I would call other ways of of, um, of of putting land to other use that would create industry in the country. I mean, look, you're sitting above in Mallow, and think of it. Going back, we had the sugar company, we had Iron Foods, we had Wrong Trees. Look at all the jobs that created. Look at all the land that was used there to grow beef. Um, I spent a lot of time of my time in the bread industry, and it was a shame to think that there wasn't even a spoon of flour used uh, to bake bread that didn't come in from abroad. Do you know what I'm saying? We I had know, outcomes. We yeah. had some great companies. We lost them. Now, I'm just saying, putting money into forestry, right? Number one, as, you're, as another man has already said, uh, you're up against an investment company. An investment company is a vehicle that has a lot of money behind it. Um, they, they, they can, you know, they go after opportunity. And uh, another point that was raised to me is that um, who is this investment company? Because... One lad came to me, I believe it was later yesterday, and he's telling me that he did a bit of research and this could be a vehicle for vulture funds. Now, if that was the case, I'd be, what we would be afraid of is that if, if people that would be in trouble with land around the country uh, as part of, of, of Quilta's of purchase, uh, that unknowing to Quilta itself, it could be duped into, into, into buying land. Um, that would be in trouble, if you know what I'm saying, what I'm getting at. And, you uh, know, yeah, yeah. It's a perfect storm because, I mean, look, as I said to you, Europe, you, you know, there's a house for sale down the road and, and you go to buy it. But there's a bank that, are, that want to buy the house to knock it to do something. There's well, look, bigger Europe against strings. it. Yeah, and Europe against yeah, it. They, they have a bigger wallet to dip into. So they have I, a bigger wallet. I and if, and but then, the, I, then I was reading on the papers uh, today, Dennis, that... Uh, Farmers' cooperatives are going to be encouraged uh, to buy land for, for, for forestry. Could we turn this around and say, well, could farmers themselves try and make money out of this? Well, look, I've been saying at meetings for the next couple of years that, you know, there's an awful lot of talk out there of, of people reinventing themselves and we, we, we turn our hands to something else. And as late as only a couple of months ago, I, I, uh, I said, look, at our own meeting, that uh, I have no problem in diversity, right, and people going to other, taking other avenues to make money. Um, but they have to make money out of it. There's no point telling us, look, you can grow this, you can do that, and whatever. It ha- we have to get, you know, that everyone has to come behind this to make it work. Do you know what I'm saying? Yeah, yeah. I mean, I'll give you an instance. Um, but on Cabaret's and Ratmore, right, when the sugar company closed, one of the guys there told me that um, just in, the, in the, what they call a vat of chocolate, right, obviously it's a big vat and they add the ingredients and so forth, um, against what they were using in the Irish sugar, it took four times the amount to do the same job in the vat as amounts of sugar extra than what the Irish sugar would have taken. And the big thing was you hadn't the same quality or taste of the chocolate That's because it was a different form of sugar. Now, yeah. you can imagine there, like, you know, there's huge opportunity. We could, you know, you're talking about cooperatives, look, right? And that's where, it, like, long ago, that's where it all started was cooperatives. Yeah, small creameries bought... And, and, you know, we had them down to my own area here with Golden Vale, with Fremont, 
Milford Creamery below. Um, do you know what I'm saying? Like, there was an awful, there was a huge opportunity. I don't think it's good enough just to say, uh, and I know there's a climate issue, and that's, I'd be afraid of that as well, because obviously with climate, the way with all the talk that's going on about it, that would these investment companies buying this land and uh, planting trees probably collecting a lot of money down the, long the line uh, for doing so. Yeah, and then, I mean, the, 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 the big one that really annoys me, and I know Holly Kearns uh, raised it in the jaw yesterday, that Quilta will end up doing all of the work for this company, Gresham Holden, and then um, th- the private investors reap all the awards. But Quilta will still do all the work. They just won't own the land and won't be able to claim any of the exactly. profits, which well, to me makes absolutely no sense. Well, you see, this is what we, this is what I personally am, would be afraid of this, is that Quilta are being used, right, in a way here. Um, if, you look, if you look at it this way, um, we don't know who's behind this investment company, but whoever, they're investors, and we don't know who the investors are, right? Uh, as I said to you, one guy mentioned to me it could be vulture funds. We don't know, right? But if you look at it, the people and the, and the, uh, that are making the investment are two steps back from the whole thing, if you like. Uh, what do I mean by that? Well, look, there's a company, an investment company working on their behalf. Um, Quilter are working on the investment company's behalf. And you'd wonder who would carry the can if anything went wrong. Do you know what I'm trying to make Yeah, it? yeah, yeah. And, and when I first heard about this uh, deal, I mean, my initial thought was, why didn't Quilta find ways to work with farmers first before yes. resorting to a private capital to meet it as forestation? Well, targets? you see, this is, what, uh, this is where, where the, the lights start flashing. This is where the lights are flashing because, look, we have Microsoft, a huge company, cutting back in the, globally, right? And it has a fin effect in Ireland. As late as yesterday, we've argued pulling out of Ireland, right? Mm. So the likes of these people that were investing before in companies like this uh, don't see a future, obviously, in, in, in return, right? But they will see a future in the land and in the trees and, in, indeed, any subsidies that will come from Europe. And there will be subsidies. There's no two ways about it. Where climate change is concerned, and look, they, you know, it's, there's a lot of talk about forestry and all the rest of it. But like, you know, if, if there was crops being grown um, or, uh, out there, if it was barley, whether it was beet or whatever, um, you know, there's an awful lot we could do in Ireland with what we have. You know, we have okay. a great opportunity at the moment to reinvent ourselves as a, as, as a nation. We really have. Uh, we're renowned throughout the world for our food industry um, and our food, or the food we produce. So, you know, I think there's a huge opportunity there. Um, you know, you know, you, when you plant the trees, that's the end of that thing. Like, you know what I'm saying? There's mm-hmm. no more to be got out of that until the trees are, are caught whenever it will be 20 or 25 years down the line. Do you know that kind of way? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah it certainly and is then there's benefit another... to a local community living well, in a local economy. Well, I'll tell you something. There was a, from, I'm not living far away from here where there was a trees uh, taken out in the, in the last 12 months, a year and a half. And it's absolutely shocking to drive through you know and you're looking in at this it's like a bomb landed and blew the place to thunder do you know what i'm saying okay. the trees are lovely when you're looking at them and they're green and they're standing but, but once they cut them down, down it's, an, it's an awful years. void yeah. in yeah. the whole place yeah thing. yeah and, and as the irish wildlife trust said it's an investment company they're going to go for commercially viable trees not yes. necessarily native exactly. trees okay we leave it there dennis right. thank you for thank that you very much. thanks thank uh, for joining us that's dennis o'callaghan vice president of the icsa on a story that i don't think is going to go away and joe and Malik is saying what I've heard
heard a lot of other people say as well, given the whole history between Ireland and uh, Britain, it is simply wrong. Lands are being sold to Britain again. Why are farmers not giving out more about this? Well, in fairness, they are. I mean, Dennis is, is representing a farming organisation and many farmers in rural TDs certainly are all giving out about it. 0818 103 103. Just some of your thoughts coming in. Hi, Patricia. I missed the start of Deputy Holly Kearns' interview in the last hour. Is it the hatred and the harassment? Is it aimed at her because they don't like her opinion, her agenda or her policies? Or is it simply because she's a woman? Do the men suffer the same? Great interview. She's strong and I'm glad to see that she's not been put off uh, politics. Uh, thanking uh, you. Uh, no, I mean, it's, that's what she said, that, you know, she, if it was to do with her policies, if it was to do with her opinion, you know, she'd willingly engage with people. But the abuse she's getting is nothing whatever to do with that. And certainly the stalker, it seemed to be somebody who in their own head uh, decided there was some romantic in, involvement. And certainly she'd also uh, received from others, you know, uh, pornographic photographs uh, censored in the post. Horrible, horrible uh, stuff. But yeah, um, most of it aimed uh, just because she was uh, female. Thank you for your WhatsApp to 0862-103-103. C103 Jobs. A driver with a B1 licence is required. It's for school-related hours. It's in the Domanway area. Martin is your contact at 086-261-5842. An ale technician wanted for a busy salon in Middleton. Emails, please, to CatherineFord33 at gmail.com Childcare assistant positions available for CE schemes in the North Cork area. Full training will be provided. You email admin at bacp.ie and another childbinding job required. This is for a 13 month old boy in Bantir and the surrounding areas four days per week and the job will start mid-March. Lorna is your contact 086 395-3983 You'll find all the details and more job opportunities by going online now Just go to c103.ie forward slash jobs for more This is C103 Court today on C103 With Corrigan Insurance's McCroom Now part of McCarthy Insurance Group Promoter, home, business, farm life and health insurance cmig.ie This is Court today on C103 Email Patricia now with your story or comment. Cork today at c103.ie. Now, many people have concerns about the rise in violent crime that's happening across Cork City and County. And sadly, we've seen the loss of life in many cases, young lives due to this type of crime, especially the use of knife crime. The current Lord Mayor of Cork, Councillor Deirdre Ford, is also concerned. And this week, she has called for a knife amnesty. Councillor Deirdre Ford joins me. Good morning to you, Deirdre. Good morning, Patricia. And thanks a million. I know how busy you are, sir. I appreciate you taking time out to join me. Now, the funeral this week of that 29-year-old uh, Matt O'Neill, who, God, it was heartbreaking to read uh, in the paper coverage of the funeral. Because he, and to add to it, he was an only child and he died following a serious assault. I mean, it was just utterly heartbreaking. As, as a society, do we have to stand up and say now something has to be done to stop this? I, I think you hit the nail on the head there, Patricia. We do. We've got to decide for ourselves what kind of a community or society do we want. And if we sit on our hands and do nothing and let things slide, my fear is that it will only go one way and escalate. We've seen an increase in similar attacks over the last number of months. And the stats 
the stats tell us that knife uh, crime is on the increase. So this poses a problem, not alone for the poor victims whose lives are utterly changed forever, or perhaps lost, and their families, and also the people that perpetrate these crimes. For 10 seconds of madness, their lives are changed utterly, and that of their families. Also, instilling fear in our communities. People are worried what might happen. They tend to stay away from enjoying themselves and socialising. So we've got to nip that in the bud, I believe. And one of the ways that we can deal with knife crime is to say, look, we're going to take this seriously. We're looking at maybe strengthening uh, mandatory laws against anybody that carries a knife or uses a knife with evil intent. But in the meantime, we may have a knife amnesty in conjunction with the Gardaí, and we would say to you, now is the time to change what you're doing. Uh, you know, give up your knife, get rid of those implements that make us arm, and we'll tackle it another way. So, and, and knife amnesties have, uh, I mean, I don't know if we've ever done one here in Cork before, but they have worked in, in other countries. I know in, in the UK, I know in Merseyside, uh, for example, they had a knife amnesty last year um, that, you know, in a very short period of time, um, something like 350 knives uh, were, were handed in. Um, th- they do work. They do work. And why do we need to in- reinvent the wheel? If it's proven they work, I know you're correct. Uh, in England, I, th- I believe that overall there was 100,000 knives handed up. And uh, the, these bins, if you call them um, knife bins, they're extremely secure and robust. And we could decide with the Gardaí where they should go. In some jurisdictions, they say you can hand them in to the police. And some people might be afraid of that. And people have said to me, are these guys going to go into the police? The, the police nearly know all these troublemakers already. And I believe that we're given a fresh stance. There's a lot of people get sucked into these gangs and these hanging around with people who may have knives. And I think they go down a wrong road. In fact, when they gathered up all the knives to bring it home to people in England, they made a sculpture out of the hundred thousand knives. I saw it. I, I, it was yeah. it was it was it was incredible the piece that they, that they made. Yeah. And they and travelled amazing. it they travelled it around it was called the Knife Angel and they actually brought it around the country. It took two years I think to create. But it really brought home it was all on knives that were handed in. It was just it's kind of scary to look at it, but it's a very powerful image. It's a very powerful image and it brought home to everyone, you know, what's out there. Like, we don't know the sum total of what's out there. There are other implements as well with kind of blades and knives. And I think now is the time to send a clear message, not alone to the law-abiding citizens that we're going to take this seriously, but to those people that may be sucked into this kind of undercurrent of matchiness and crime and you know, and for, yeah, okay. You know. I, I, on that, I mean, mm. it, how do we? We obviously need to get through to to because in it's predominantly young people who are obviously going out carrying a knife in their possession when they get dressed up to go out or just hanging out with their friends. They decide to bring a knife with them. We need to get through to those young people, don't we, about what they're doing? We do, and we also need to look at the cause. Why do they feel? you know, that they should carry knives. Are there gangs out there that they feel threatened by? If that's the case, we have to have a kind of an avenue for them to, you know, 
the care of what's going on in the in the towns and villages and the cities because it's not good enough for us to say, okay, we're going to give a nice amnesty. We have to also look at the causes of why these young people get involved in this element. Is it through drugs? Is it drink? Is it that they can't control their emotions? Is it matchiness? I think we have to have a whole conversation around that in tandem with the knife amnesty because it isn't going to get better. Yeah, and and I mean, even those that um, survive these horrific attacks, they they can be left with lifelong struggles. You see, before Christmas, I had the pleasure of meeting some of the... When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a -a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Even on a budget, quality is non-negotiable. That's why Quince is the place to score high-end essentials at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Get your hands on buttery soft cashmere sweaters from just 60 bucks, Italian leather jackets, and so much more. And the best part about Quince? They exclusively partner with factories committed to safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Elevate your style without the elevated price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health-monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health Right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Uh, victims of crime who are being supported by, you know, people like some ex and other people in Cork City. And to talk to them, you know, it's traumatic, really, uh, to listen to what they have to say and to see how traumatised they still are after events like this from all sorts of crime. And I think that, you know, we should be aware that the years of misery for the people that are affected and the years of misery for the families, very often these guys that get into this knife situation, they have very good families and the whole family is traumatised by this incident. Um, And, you know, we have to start looking not alone you know, at the causes of this, I think in conjunction with the Gardaí, we have to provide a safe haven if they feel threatened in our streets or when they go out at night. And are you hearing from people, Deirdre, law-abiding citizens who are fearful living in some of their own communities and perhaps even afraid to go out, especially at night? Well, unfortunately, I am. Now, you know, one of the pillars of our community here in Cork, um, we want a proper night economy. We want people to feel safe to go in to the different areas, be it the city or the county and the towns and the villages. They're entitled to go out at night with their families and to feel safe. And the young people themselves, you know, the teenagers, they're entitled to feel safe. And if I wear three of my own, so I know what goes on in the streets, 
I'm listening to friends who tell me there's a lot of this going on here and there. I don't want to name any place because it's not fair on all the good work that's been done. But we all know there is a situation where people are fearful and we've got to nip that in the bud in conjunction with the Gardaí. Um, we don't want the Gardaí to be at the end of knife crime either. So we've got to start treating it. One of the ways we treat it is have an amnesty, I believe it would be helpful, um, start an education process, listen to these people that don't feel safe, that they feel they, there's gangs out there and they have to carry a knife to keep themselves safe against these gangs. And we then we have to look at what about mandatory sentencing? There's no quicker way. Yeah, I can. Yeah, I can see some points coming in from uh, listeners that I would have expected, including Gary and Clonakilty. He said, following on a number of years ago from what John O'Donoghue said at the time, he was the justice minister that he wanted zero tolerance for this type of crime. Gary feels it's backwards. We've gone. He says the punishment isn't fitting the crimes in this country uh, when they go before the courts. We're too lenient. Well, you know, there is a separation of power, so. I don't want to strictly comment on anything to do with sentencing, but I can articulate as Lord Mayor that I am hearing people giving out about the differentiation of sentencing and the unhappiness with it. So that's for the, um, you know, for the judges to listen to and hear and be aware of. Um, but I, my job is to articulate what's being said to me. And okay. unfortunately, they are saying that to me. OK, and a number of other people, are, including Ted and Carrie Galine, said what we simply need are more Gardaí on the beat. Well, you know, we can never have enough Gardaí. They do a tremendous work. They proved time and again that they even step beyond the call of duty during COVID. But yes, we do need more Gardaí. And I'm happy to say that recently, you know, I saw that there was a passing out parade in um, Templemore. Templemore. Yeah. Um, but, you know, we need more. And I, I understand they are recruiting, you know, but you, perhaps too, you know, um, that's a job for the commissioner and the minister to discuss. And I think that people would feel safer if we had more guardian on the beat. And I would urge people to consider going into the uh, the Gardaí. We need them. It's a, it's a good life. It's just, It can be dangerous and we have to ensure that the Gardaí that are there who must be traumatised from a lot of the crime that's out there. Traumatised. Mm. We've got to support the Gardaí. We've got to support law and order for all those hundreds of thousand people to have businesses go to work, pay their tax, want to raise their families in peace. Yeah, and like, you know, while we like to always keep it local, we have to also bear in mind that this type of violent crime is not just happening here in Cork City and County, it's all over the country. And I saw Sally Hanlon, who runs that wonderful group Support After uh, Crime Services. She was saying that the the violence now is so extreme. You know, gone are the days of a fair fight where two guys Mm -hmm. might have, you know... Punched each other. Somebody got a you know a black eye, a bloody nose, and they went home with their tail between their legs. It's almost like some people have absolutely no regard for life. You could become hardened very young. We've got to look at the causes of that as well. You know, and people say, oh, they had a hard life when they were young. You know, I could I could tell you people that had a very hard life when they were young, but they didn't turn to crime. You know, but maybe they were supported more. 
I'm, I'm not pointing the finger, uh, you know, at people who who suffered when they were young. But I'm saying that we need to look at all the causes. And Sally does tremendous work. She in does, group. yeah. Yeah. And, um, and not everyone that suffers a hard life ends up pulling a knife out on somebody. But, I mean, can you imagine? That I remember when I was younger, I had an aunt and I was cutting her hair. And I, by mistake, I nipped her earlobe. Oh. I nearly ran out of the house. I got such a fright. I know. And you know how anyone can... That, that still stuck with me. And believe you me, that was a long time ago. But the thought that you would slice a knife oh. into somebody and forever oh. change their lives is beyond it's dreadful. dreadful. Okay, about. listen, um, I wish you luck with this life amnesty, uh, Deirdre. And once again, thank you for joining us and making yourself available to us this morning. Thank you, Patricia. Good morning Cheerio. to you. That Bye-bye. is the Lord Mayor of Cork, uh, Councillor Deirdre Ford. Uh, John says, not in agreement with the knife amnesty. It would be a waste of time. More Gardaí on the street is what is needed. It's mostly to do with young people, drink and drugs. That is where the problems lie, says uh, John. And Gary Michelle in in Shannon said, when we were in college in the early noughties, we never thought about what if something happens outside a bar and somebody might pull a knife. It was never, ever on our radar. Uh, Michelle said recently herself and her fiancé were out before Christmas and because of the various stories they'd heard about knife crime and violent crime, they felt they had a real awareness of where they were who was watching them, who was behind them, who was in front of them, you know, what way would they go, would they be safe going that way Uh, she said it actually was very hard to relax when out in the city at at night uh, because it's in the back of people's law abiding people's minds that anything can go wrong at any time and that is no way for any society to live 0818103103 John Paul taking your calls and earlier you know I mentioned that awful case of that little baby who was mauled to death by the family uh, dog. Uh, a listener says, Patricia, my sympathy to that family in uh, County Waterford. And as the coroner said yesterday, the Cork City car- coroner said, you cannot trust a dog. I had a Jack Russell. He was a pure pet. When my granddaughter would call, I knew and could sense he was so jealous of her. I was feeding him one day and my grand daughter just bent down to look into the bowl to see what I was given to the little Jack Russell and he snapped at her and just caught her little finger. I had to get rid of him immediately. I just could not trust him. My granddaughter was 12 months at the time. Yeah and that Jack Russell I mentioned terriers earlier they can be very territorial and they really bond with an owner but you did the right thing because how would you live with yourself if something had happened subsequently uh, between your little dog and and a much loved dog and it's a hard thing to do it's absolutely a hard thing to do but of course the love of your granddaughter comes first I came across a wonderful story online that I said I really needed to look into it was a bride who sold her dress the day after her wedding and she has taken the idea and now turned it into an online platform Isabel Gleeson joins me to discuss Rebride which she recently launched good morning to you Isabel Hi Patricia, how are you? I'm very well and you're very welcome uh, to the programme. Thank you. Now, was it always your plan to sell your beautiful wedding dress? And if so, did you expect to sell it so fast? I definitely didn't expect to sell it quite so quickly. 
Um, but it has definitely been at the back of my mind just because obviously weddings come with so many expenses and, you know, you're not really going to be able to get any of that money back in any other place. So it always been on the back of my mind just because I'm quite used to using Depop for selling clothing and, um, you yeah, know, I just feel like I was living in London at the time where shopping free loved and also renting is kind of more second nature over there. So definitely was always my plan, but I was absolutely delighted to um, get that message the next day inquiring about buying it. Now, just explain how that all came about. Well, basically, I um, I just had obviously put up pictures of it on Instagram and then I have like a styling um business also called Styled by Isabel where I put together like virtual styling reports and a lot of the time for brides also so sometimes they'll be looking for you know three or four outfits um, in and around the wedding day so just made me realize you know how much um, clothing and shopping goes into into the wedding day and I just think we have our, our wedding dress, you know, we get all the memories, we have all the photographs, but really there's no harm in it going down for another trip down the aisle. So you had just posted this, you know, this is me on my wedding day up on Instagram yeah. and then somebody messaged and said, can I buy your dress? Literally, yeah, <laughs> it was just meant to be and it all worked out perfectly. So, um, yeah, delighted. But now, the big question is, what did you pay for it and what did you sell it for? So it's obviously a very high ticket item. I mean, wedding dresses are, and the ones that have been uploaded by Spice um, are obviously very high value. So mine was 5,000 in euros. Um, and I got 2800 back for it, which well I know I wasn't making money from yeah. that. But still, I mean, I obviously, the price I paid to wear it, have all my pictures, all my memories. Of course, that's, um, you know, really important. So I was delighted with that. Because let's be honest, you certainly don't get to wear it again. No. And, and there has been over the years stories of people, you know, getting the dress dry cleaned and then putting it away. For what? I mean, I know yeah. there, was a, there was a tradition at one stage that some people turned it into christening robes, but I haven't even heard of anybody doing that in many years. Yeah, exactly. I feel like there's such amazing choice out there even for christening outfits. And that is something that I think you could go on to sell also. So I just think, you know, this is the way the world is going. We have to be, you know, thinking more sustainably. And this is such a perfect um, example of something that you're literally wearing once and then not throwing it away, but just keeping it out of sight and it's out of mind. And also it takes up a lot of storage because obviously wedding dresses can be very large in size and you know, not everyone's going to have that space at home. That's true. That's true. So yeah. if somebody was selling on their dress is is that kind of the asking price a, a little over half of what you paid for it new yeah so people have been asking me and um, since i launched the last two weeks so i would say 50 to 60 percent is more realistic yeah so and do you think brides attitudes have changed over the over the years and that many now yeah. would consider second hand that maybe 10 15 years ago would have been poo-hooed a little bit Totally. I really think this is the future. I really think that like people are getting way more into the mind frame of, oh, I could rent that, I could rent it for my day too. And also, I just think like free love just goes hand in hand with that. And we're seeing, you know, like celebrities <laughs> wearing like vintage secondhand. It's just becoming the way the world is going. And, you know, if we want to make a change, this is something small that you can do. Yeah. And, you know, they literally look good as new. Honestly, you get them dry cleaned, any little alterations can be done. And it's, it's just there's so much fabrication that goes into them. It, it is quite wasteful not to give it a second lease of life yeah and when you think about it a bride what probably 12 13 hours will wear the dress for and that's it like yeah. it's not something that is has well worn by the time it goes on to the next bride no exactly and i've had a lot of people even on my website there's dresses up there that have never been worn because a lot of people didn't get to wear their big proper dress for their wedding because of covid oh, yeah. um 
so there's obviously quite a lot of dresses that are going up. There's there's second hand technically, but they've literally good as new. So there's lots um there's lots on the website to choose from. Okay, so just explain how your online platform works. Yeah, so really simple to use. You can find me at rebride underscore on Instagram and that will take you to my website. And um, the idea is you can go on, sell my wedding dress, you pay twenty euro um as a one time fee to upload your dress. So I'll get all the information on the designer, the um, the size, all of that info. And then I will post the listing onto my website to give it the exposure for, you know, like-minded people and people who are looking for a dress just like yours, pre-loved, um, to save some of the cost. So it is easy. And then um, most importantly, you will keep 100% of the commission from the sale. Okay. And then obviously, if somebody's scrolling through the dresses, sees a particular dress in the right size, that's exactly yeah. what they're looking for. They then get in contact with the person selling. Is it? Is that how it works? Exactly. Exactly. And they will arrange shipping between the two of them. Yeah, exactly. Okay. And um, somebody wants to know, do you also deal with bridesmaids? Oh, yeah. But do you do bridesmaids dresses? Well, I didn't expect to have such great reactions, even from launching. It's been amazing. And people have been asking me about Mother of the Bride and Bridesmaids. So I'm going to be getting those added to my website now in the next couple of weeks. So definitely watch this space. Uh, Mother of the Bride is a huge one because they can be very expensive outfits that are literally only worn once. Totally. And also, I think it is really hard to know even where to shop when you um, have, you know, a son or a daughter who's getting married. It's just there isn't a load of shops out there that really cater for that mother of the bride look. So I feel like this could be a really great, um, you know, platform for them to shop and also just gather inspiration for where's the best place to get your outfit. So very exciting. I think you're onto a real, real winner. Did you say you were initially you were over in England? Are you back here in Ireland now? Yes, I am. I've been back in, in, in Dublin for nearly two years now. So, okay. yeah. All right. Have you managed to find housing? I have, yes. I, I have, yes. Because right. we were only discussing that during the week. It's a, it, it's, it's a problem everywhere, but particularly in Dublin. Listen, Isabella, yeah. it's, it's a wonderful, wonderful platform. Well done. Uh, Rebride underscore. People can find you on Instagram. Yes, exactly. Okay. So, yeah, check it out. Good luck with it. Thank you so Thanks much. Thanks a million. Thanks. Great chat to you. Bye bye. Bye bye. That is uh, Isabel Gleeson. If there's, if you or anyone in your household is getting married and you don't want to fork out a huge sum of money on wedding and a wedding dress, they're absolutely stunning uh, red wedding dresses on the site. And I just think it's all to do with the circular economy. Uh, and it's, and I think it, Isabel is right. I think. Uh, a generation or two ago it would have been unheard of to think that you were going to buy a second hand uh, dress to get married in but I think more and more people are seeing you know fast fashion and what fast fashion does to climate there's so much talk about climate uh, change but in some of these very very costly items that people buy the idea of going second hand I don't think people are turning their noses up at it anymore and of course for most people who over the years will have bought a wedding dress where is your wedding dress now there are some people have kept it in boxes and it's up in the attic of the belief that your daughter might walk down the aisle in your wedding dress don't know if that happens much uh, today uh, but certainly there was there was a period of time where as I mentioned Isabel the wedding dress got turned into the christening robe and I do think that's a lovely thing if you can do that and then kind of have a family christening robe but as I say haven't heard it happen and haven't been at a christening in a while where somebody said oh that was made out of my wedding dress so I don't know how much of that is happening at the moment You're listening to Cork Today on Replay Phone and text lines are currently closed 
and I wish everybody at uh, Courtmick, Sherry, Aaron and I the very best of luck for next Sunday. We spoke with them a few weeks ago because they were about to they were a week away from the arrival of their new Shannon class all weather lifeboat but unfortunately that had to be deferred and postponed uh, because there was bad weather but the good news is that the Shannon class all weather lifeboat is going to be arriving in Court McSherry this uh, Sunday and it is the 11th lifeboat to be stationed at Court McSherry since the foundation of the station back in 1821 the arrival of the lifeboat will be the, the they're sticking with the very same um, programme that they had for a couple of weeks ago. It's, but it's, it's just moved to this Sunday. It'll be at 13.45, 1.45, quarter to two. It's when it is in expected and they'll have a flotilla of other boats as well. And they're inviting everybody to come along to the village on Sunday for the welcoming of the Shannon class all-weather lifeboat. Uh, good luck to everybody involved uh, there. Now, some of your thoughts and comments coming into the uh, programme. Uh, Michael says, Patricia, I was listening to your programme earlier about this Gresh- Gresham House, is that what they're called? This investment English investment company that is going to be buying forestry land from uh, Quilta and the implications of it. I wonder, will they be able to draw down EU premiums even though they're an English company and even though England has left the EU? Is there a way around this for them? Uh, the premiums they wouldn't be able to get at home, but now that they're working in an Irish in, in Ireland, it being part of the EU, would they be able to draw down EU premiums? I don't know. Just the thoughts, says Michael. But it is very possible. We were discussing knife crime earlier on on the programme and just this whole rise in violent crime and, and what has gone wrong with society that we're seeing so much of this violent crime and hearing of people being taken to hospital after another stabbing incident. And unfortunately, we've seen uh, lives lost and it was just heartbreaking. That young man in Carrigaline, who died, that 29 year old, uh, just an only child, and just hearing his father inside, you know, delivering the oration inside in um, at his funeral. It's just heartbreaking, absolutely heartbreaking. Uh, Patricia, it is all down to our laws, and that's why we don't have enough people, men and women, stepping forward who want to join the Gardaí. When they're out and about on the beach, these guys are just sticking their fingers up at them, and then when they arrive into court, they get free legal aid. My advice. And suggestion would be cut free legal aid and also stop this notion when they're in court of saying, oh, should they had a hard upbringing and this and that happened uh, to them. They should just face the courts without free legal aid and face the courts based on what they did rather than people trying to justify why they actually did it. And Mike in Bantry reckons when I'm talking about what's gone wrong with society, that somebody would go out actually carrying a knife. Mike reckons that teenagers and indeed children are watching violent films and playing violent video games and they're doing that from an earlier age so they kind of get desensitised Yeah, because when the, the Lord Mayor Cork Deirdre Ford was talking about it you know and I was talking about the day where there'd be a fair fight where two people would square up to each other there'd be a bit of a punch up and you know one would walk away with a bloody nose tail between his legs and that would be it but it's gone very different um, uh, today and it's just this, there just seems to be so much violence there and just people are just desensitised and there's just nobody seems to care about life anymore and she was talking about how could you slash somebody in the face with a knife how could you even consider doing it and she told I thought her own little sweet story of cutting her aunt's hair and just nipping her aunt's earlobe and the blood was everywhere and she nearly lost her life when, when it happened uh, so how completely different it is um, to, but to stand in front of somebody with a knife in your hand and actually slash somebody 
Oh, it really doesn't bear thinking about. And then another WhatsApper says, Patricia, we're now hearing on the news there at 12 midday that our jails are overcrowded. Surely that has got to be a big red flag for this government and for society as a whole. And on your show today, we're talking about knife crime. How about the army? policing the streets with Angarda Siakona, especially at the weekends. And I would also suggest hard labour needs to be brought into this country for people who do commit serious crime. You might never have to use it, but maybe people might be slow to commit crimes because many of them know that jails are just a cushy number for them. If they if they had the thought in their heads that they'd be put on, you know, like the old chain gangs are out breaking up rocks, they might think twice about getting involved in uh, crime. You also, I guarantee, says this texter, you wouldn't see jails so full if, if some of our criminals were getting hard labour. I don't know how many people would agree with that. 0818 103 103. And then a flurry of texts and calls in about wedding dresses. And by the way, somebody was saying, can you give me the name of uh, Isabel's, where she's selling, where she sells the the wedding dress. If you go onto Instagram and it's rebride underscore and you'll get through to her Instagram page and out of that you'll get a link to her actual website where you can see the dresses that are up on sale at the moment are if you're interested in selling your own dress. Jane says 32 years ago I got married. My sister took my wedding dress, brought it to the dry cleaners and had it cleaned and then a friend of hers paid more than I did to buy the dress. We were building at the time and the money was very handy. We needed it for the house. I wasn't a bit sentimental about it, says Jane. And Jane actually made money on her wedding dress 32 years ago. Go you. Elizabeth said, is in Carrigaline. Elizabeth got married 25 years ago. She still has her wedding dress. She said, I'm very sentimental about my wedding dress and I intend on keeping it forever. My hopes and thoughts though would be that my daughter might wear it uh, someday if she decides to get married. So it might get another airing. But you see, that's the difference, isn't it? That the complete difference between Elizabeth and Carrigaline and Jane. Jane had absolutely no problem, sold it, made money on it and it was gone. And then Elizabeth, there she is 25 years later and the dress obviously stored in a box uh, somewhere and lovingly looked after. I wonder how many more people have still kept their wedding dresses like Elizabeth and Carrigaline. Thanks for that, Elizabeth. Hi, Patricia, just listening to your show. I got married 33 years ago. I got married in England. And the shop where I purchased my dress also hired dresses. The day I was buying my dress, the lady said, well, if you want to come back after the wedding and sell it back to us, we'd be more than willing to take the dress from you. So it's a few days later. I did just that because Elizabeth said I knew I wouldn't be using it again. So bought from the same shop and then handed it back into the same uh, shop. And then a Kilworth listener, when I was making the point, does anybody cut up the wedding dresses and make them into christening robes, is picking up on the fact that Isabel, who I interviewed about her wedding dress, said that she paid 5,000 euro for it and then sold it for 2,800 euro. The Gilbert listener says, imagine cutting up a 5,000 euro wedding dress and turning it into a christening gown. Be a very expensive christening gown. <laughs> it would indeed and I hadn't thought <laughs> I hadn't specifically thought about her dress I was thinking of other people who have done that in the past Anya says I only got married three months ago congratulations Anya I sold my wedding dress last week uh, we're in the process of buying a house and renovating it so every single euro and cent is going towards uh, the house so again you didn't have any any 
no, there was no sentimental reasons or any qualms about selling it on. And I, I loved like what Isabella said, Isabella, who I interviewed, said somebody else gets to have a fantastic experience in the beautiful dress that you wore only uh, three months ago. So thank you for that. That's just some of your calls and comments coming in to do with wedding dresses. And then there was a couple of emails. Um, this is in response to yesterday. If you were tuned in yesterday, I spoke with um, Care Champions on the programme uh, yesterday and they are a group that campaign for better and proper service and um, care inside in nursing homes and any kind of residential uh, institutions and they help and support families who might not be that comfortable about complaining particularly if somebody they feel an older person is not being looked after in a nursing home and I've had a couple of emails in uh, to the programme following my chat yesterday uh, on inadequate care. Now, can I say it is in some nursing homes and we did emphasise that yesterday when we were talking about it. We have some wonderful nursing homes with wonderful staff and wonderful care assistants and wonderful managers who go above and beyond to make sure that their residents are looked after. But unfortunately, there will always be some that don't, don't give the same amount of care. And the one thing the care champions were pointing out was that uh, of late, there's been a problem with some nursing homes having inadequate staff there's just not enough staff turn up you know you might get a run on COVID you might get a run on flus or whatever this time of year in particular people get uh, sick much more quicker than say they do in the summer months and people are phoning in sick and if they don't have extra staff to bring in then what some people perceive as inadequate care in particular what we spoke about yesterday was things like you know somebody not getting out of bed until the afternoon or somebody not having been fed until the afternoon or the other one that we heard about somebody being put to bed at six o'clock in the evening because they weren't going to have enough staff on later on so all the residents were put to bed early and that's not fair and that's not proper care uh, either anyway some of your emails in uh, Nora said I am so glad to hear you covering the topic of inadequate care in some nursing nursing homes. I fear that what has happened in nursing homes will be the mother and baby homes of the future. Scandals will surface of abuse and cruelty. The government can't just hand over the care of vulnerable people over to independent contractors and then turn a blind eye. We all know how that ends. We need accountability in all of our nursing homes. They can't just become dumping grounds for the elderly. That's from Nora. And then Fiona says, hi, Patricia, my mother was in a nursing home and within two days she had two falls but the first fall was due to the staff giving her a sleeping tablet while she was still in her wheelchair but the second fall she was actually found outside in the courtyard of the nursing home in a pool of her own blood we were told that some other residents had pushed her out in the wheelchair and then left her there and then she was found when tea time came and they went looking for this lady only to discover that and God help the other residents she probably didn't realise what she was doing we had been on to them numerous times after her discharge from CUH after the first fall we'd been on to them on several occasions to please please be vigilant with our mother and then we get the call to say this happened she sadly died 26 days after the second fall. Now, she did come home to my house and that's where she passed away. She never went back into the nursing home. Isn't that just... 
Oh, dreadful. Absolutely dreadful. 08, thank you, Fiona, by the way, for, for emailing your story to us. 0818 uh, 103 103. John Paul continues to uh, take your calls. We're going to go back to something lighter. We're going back to uh, wedding dresses. Regina in Roscarbury. Uh, good afternoon to you, Regina. Hello, Patricia. How are you? I'm very well. You are somebody else. You also still have your wedding dress. I do. <laughs> and I'm 25 years married this June and I plan on wearing it. We're having a gathering. My sister's coming from Florida. She was my bridesmaid originally. And we're having a gathering and we're renewing our vows and I'm going to wear my wedding dress. Hey, now the big question, <laughs> the big question, does it fit perfectly? I'm about half a stone to go, so I say I'll be rocking up to uni slim fairly soon. And <laughs> <laughs> I, 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 that's funny because the other, one of our other uh, callers this morning was married 25 years ago as well and has also kept her wedding dress. So I wonder, was it something in that era? Was was that something that a lot of brides did 25 years ago? Um, I don't know, but I actually love this. And the funny thing was, there was another, you were mentioning another listener there who had got their gift dresser this was striking was well, I put mine in my washing machine oh. <laughs> I, I hung it on the line and, <laughs> and I wh- put it in the attic <laughs> and where has it where has it been for the last 25 years in my attic okay you have you taken it down recently yes okay. yes I have I took, I took it down a couple of months ago because I said I better I better just check to make sure it fits and that's okay and um, and it is yeah I just have a couple of inches You'll but, get there. Uh, you'll get there. And just, I get there. just I, 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 and obviously, the renewing of the vows is going to be in June again, is it? Yes. Yeah. Yes. Uh, I have to say, I am lucky. I did marry the love of my life. Ah, uh, uh, and is he going to get? Is and wh- wh- what's the love of your life's name? Uh, Jeremiah. He'll probably kill me. For Jerem- my and is Jeremiah <laughs> going to get suited and booted? Yes, he is. He's going to wear a tux and a. Uh, uh, pastel waistcoat if we can find one now he doesn't he rents his time yeah that's what they did yeah, and, and do you think Jeremiah's waist size is the same as it was 25 years ago he has a couple of inches as well. He's still <laughs> leaning <to> trim. <laughs> oh, that's fabulous. That, that is a lovely, lovely story. Listen, and it'd be gorgeous to have the two sets of photographs. Yes, it will. It yeah. will. I'm, I'm excited. Yeah. Well I'm done. Excited. Well done. Listen, enjoy, and thank you for sharing that with us. No problem. Right, Take care. Good afternoon. Bye bye. Uh, Regina in uh, uh, Ross Carberry and congratulations for June on the 25th wedding anniversary. There's not many people can admit that 25 years on they can still fit into the wedding dress. So well done to Regina. 0818 103 103. John Paul taking your calls. The C103 Cork Diary. With Cork County Council, where communities and businesses all across the county can get the support they need at corkcoco.ie. I just spotted a WhatsApp in, and I don't know whether this is on our community diary or not. In this case, it's not given a mention. Middleton GAA bingo is on as usual this evening, half past seven, with great prizes on offer. There's also bingo on in Mallow, GAA uh, Complex 815. This week's jackpot, 4,600. Euro Kildarry Bingo also on tonight, eight o'clock in the Storeyard Creamery. Jackpot 1,280. And dancing is on in Kilbehany Community Centre tonight. Dancing to Pat Daly and the usual teas will be served. And also happening tonight is the presentation of funds from the Christmas lights display at Michael and Chrissy O'Mahony's home in Kilbarry in Dunmanway. It's going to be held in the Parkway Hotel in Dunmanway tonight, half past nine, with guest appearance on the night from the only Munster contestant for the 2023 
Glortira. That's Molly O'Connell. And good luck to Molly in Glortira. Music will be by Fimber Dennehy and family with special guest artist Teddy Crowley. And all are very welcome. Court today on C103. With Corrigan Insurance's McCroom. Now part of McCarthy Insurance Group. For motor, home, business, farm, life and health insurance. CMIG.ie. This is Cork Today on C103. Email Patricia now with your story or comment. Cork Today at C103.ie. Okay, getting a flurry of WhatsApps in about wedding dresses and definitely that kind of 25 years plus. Uh, anyone married that long seems to have kept their wedding dresses. I got married 27 years ago, still have my wedding dress. Hi Patricia, I still have my wedding dress 26 years later. Not planning on giving it away anytime soon. That is from uh, Deirdre. Hi Patricia, I made my daughter's communion dress from my wedding dress and two of my daughters wore it and it looked absolutely fabulous. Well done. Hi Patricia, I have my lace wedding dress and veil that I lovingly made myself over 40 years ago. I often look at it and especially last year when I tried it on around our 40th anniversary. It is my pride and joy. It's hanging up to admire whenever I want. I will always treasure it as it is a beautiful memory of our wedding day. Thank you for that. Hi Patricia. Good afternoon. I sold mine at a car boot sale for 50 euro. I paid 250 euro for it. It was second hand the day I bought it at a wedding dress shop on Penrose Quay. That was 13 years ago. When I was about six years of age, I clearly remember my mum cutting up her wedding dress when I came home. She said it was because she didn't have any room for it. I subsequently found out years later that she caught my dad cheating and they ended up divorcing. But they're now the best of friends and actually lived together after a 30 year separation. (laughs) That explained why your mother was cutting up the wedding dress on that day and Jim wants to know the listener that contacted us to say that she bought her wedding dress in a shop it was in England wasn't it and when she was in the shop they said oh if you want to sell it back to us because we do second hand uh, dresses uh, Jim is wondering um, did 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 she get money back? Yeah, she she sold it back to the shop. But she's then wondering, uh, did he's wondering, did the shop go on and sell it for the original price? I've, no, I've absolutely no way of knowing, uh, Jim. Thank you for your text to 0862103103. I want to go back to knife crime and people being nervous about going out and about, particularly in the Carriga Line area, because unfortunately there's been a number of very sad and tragic events in that area. Councillor Ben uh, Dalton O'Sullivan has contacted us. Uh, good afternoon to you, Ben. Good morning, Patricia, and good uh, morning to all your listeners. You're welcome. Now, a number of people, when we started talking with Deirdre Ford, the Lord Mayor of Cork City, a number of people saying we need more Gardaí on the beat and we need more Gardaí stationed in various parts of our beautiful city and uh, county. For the past, I don't know, is it about three, four years, locals have been fighting for Carrigaline station to be open 24-7. How is that campaign going? Absolutely, and I suppose, unfortunately, I didn't hear um, Deirdre's interview. I'm in County Hall this morning going between meetings, but um, unfortunately, I didn't get to listen in. But on the issue of Carrigaline Garda station, unfortunately, it's been going on for quite a long time, and I'd say even longer than three or four years. You know, I remember in the local elections in 2019, it was the issue, you know, it was the most important issue. I was getting it on at least every second, every third doorstep. People were raising the issue of the Garda station. And like, the Garda station is there. It's a, the building is perfect. And it, 
what they're looking for is full-time, guaranteed and permanent opening hours that if they could, if they have a passport that needs to be signed or if they have a, um, a form that needs witnessing, that there'll be a guard there in the station um, to, to do that. But, Joe, going back, Patricia, I, I remember shortly after I was elected in 2019, we were sitting around as an independent grouping and we were looking at, you know, what committees people are interested in, you know, like, you know, West Cork, you know, the councillors were interested in the Coast Committee and whatever. But I remember the one committee that I fought for was the Joint Policing Committee and I got um, a seat on that event in, in, in 2019. But, you know, it's just so frustrating when you're putting in, like, since 2019, I've been putting in motion saying, you know, calling on the, the Minister for Justice and the Garda Commissioner to, to once and for all address the issue of Caradlan Garda Station and... Patricia, the public out there are angry. They are very angry and they're frustrated and rightly so because, you know, they want a Garda station that is open, that they can go in, get their form signed, be to a Garda on duty and go about their business. But unfortunately, that isn't the case still at the moment. Do you think crime is on the increase in the area because of it? Um, put it this way, I, I won't comment on that, but what, put it this way, if the door was open in the Garda station, it would send a message in itself. Mm. You know, but like, you know, for older people, like I'm getting it off from older people. And in the last, we had two incidents over the last two weeks, um, which are going through the the courts won't. Yeah. But um, at, like just on that, I had six after the first incident, I had sixty five to sixty eight pieces of communication, be it by email, being stopped in the street or on the phone or by text. I counted between sixty six and sixty eight. Um, people, you know, raising the issue with me and just saying, look, Ben, what is going on? What is going on with the, the Garda station? And I suppose in response, like, I, I've been doing everything in my power as one local councillor, trying to raise the issue and trying to get action, but what I have done is, as the chairman of the Caroline Municipal District, I wrote to the three ministers, you know, we have the three most powerful ministers in the country representing the town of Caroline. And when I look at pulling up another issue, Shane Ross in step aside, you know, he was a minister, he stamped his foot and step aside is opened. Yeah, and yeah, that was I suppose, yeah. And a lot like, of people weren't happy over that, for sure. A lot of people weren't happy with that, but you know, you know that it brings to mind when we're talking about this issue. But look, what, what I did is I wrote to the three senior ministers and I said, look, um, we, we're all fighting the same battle. You know, we need the, the, we need the station open. The motion that I was putting in throughout the last three years was looking for a meeting with the Garda Commissioner never acknowledged or responded to or accepted. So what I was what I've asked the minister is saying, look, in your power now, in your ministerial power, is it within their remit to look for a meeting with the commissioner and raise the issue of the guard station and say, look, we do need more guards in Caroline to get the station open. Yeah, and is there a real sense of nervousness nervousness? Is that what you're picking up from people? Especially older people. And what mm. older what kind of the older people are saying to me is saying, you know, Ben, it's not the town we knew going back a few years, but like, but the message that came out of the Joint Policing Committee, and I just want to assure everyone who's listening, Caradline is fully covered in terms of coverage for policing, that if a call is made, it will be responded to, um, you know, but just what, what we are fighting for is the assurance of the door being open at the station. That's really our fight, and I just will say as well, we have community guards in Caradline who are absolutely fantastic. They are well-known in the community, well-liked and respected, and they go above and beyond all the time for everyone. And they just have to be publicly acknowledged, but we could do with more of them.
Yeah, yeah, and they're they're trying their best. They really are. Okay, uh, listen, Ben, we leave it there. Thank you for that, and uh, All right, thanks, Patricia. Thank, thanks, thanks, uh, for, thanks uh, for uh, contacting uh, the program. And someone else says when we're tra- you know when we're <laughs> what I was trying to dig down into is is what is it in young people that they think it's okay to go out with a, with a knife, and what leads young people to get into this type of very violent, vicious uh, crime. Anthony, who signs his text, Anthony at work, said it's no surprise that violence is widespread as these teenagers were getting violent games as young children are seeing them with older siblings. Actually, somebody else has pointed to that as an as a reason as well. This mentality is pushed out now, nowadays by influencers as censorship is virtually non-existence and we then we then add to that have a justice system that just seems to be too soft on crime and that's from Anthony who signs himself at work. This is the Court Today replay on C103. Earlier in the week, by the way, we spoke about a fundraiser that's happening this Saturday night in the Highland in Newmarket. All proceeds going to the Mick Cronin uh, appeal. And it is a Kaylee All-Stars live show. And there's a load of sporting legends uh, turning up uh, as well. It's going to be a fantastic night and it is on tomorrow night. And uh, Gerald Murphy, who joined us in the studio, is organising the event. has very kindly contacted us and he said, would you like to give away two pairs of tickets to the entire event? I think the tickets uh, for the entire event are valued at €50 each. So we've two pairs of tickets if you'd like to go to the Highland in Newmarket tomorrow night to see the All-Star Legends to share their stories and then of course that's followed by music afterwards with the Kaleo All-Stars and there's a disco on as well. Caller 5 and Caller 6 to get through to John Paul now 0818 103 103 that's please if you're only free available and would really like to go to the Highland in Newmarket tomorrow night for what's going to be a cracker of a night in aid of a very very worthwhile cause the Mick Cronin Appeal call us now please if you'd like to win those tickets 0818 103 103 Mark Malone our movie reviewer joins me good afternoon to you and you're welcome okay two movies for us this week Megan and the Pale Blue Eye let's take a trailer from Megan to start this is Megan hi Megan do you want to hang out yes it's nice to have a friend Megan your goal is to protect Katie from harm is the input request received input received You should probably run. Did you make him do something wrong? We're gonna be best friends forever. Okay. I've seen and heard a lot about this uh, movie and I'm mixed as to would I want to watch it or not this is a doll that goes wrong and of course straight away when I heard the storyline I thought of Chucky remember yeah. that movie Yeah, the boy doll exactly oh yeah I mean the thing about Chucky is that uh, I think I've seen uh, most of them but I did enjoy the first one yeah. and I enjoyed the kind of uh, remake scared the bejesus out of me uh, yeah but uh, the thing is is that those were much more violent than this is okay. now I should point out that the original version of this there are two versions of this the original version was very very gory and uh, the body count was much, much higher. But as they were kind of looking at it uh, and and uh, and uh, editing it, they thought, you know, if we edit this down to a P-13 
I think it's 12s accompanied. Uh, they attract more teenagers. And, um, and it's worked, you know? And that's the thing. So the version that's in cinemas is very, very different. I think, I think, is it PG? I don't think it's PG. I think it's about 13s, I think, 12 or 13s. Okay. And, and teenagers will love it. Exactly. teenagers and love Chucky. And the, exactly. And the thing is that, that uh, this was released in January, where normally January is a bit of a dumping ground, you know, for, uh, for movie studios because uh, nobody tends to go to the cinema after uh, Christmas. But um, this has shown itself to be very, very successful. It's done very, very well. It's been received very, very well by the critics, and I can understand why. Um, this is b made by Blumhouse, and the thing, uh, the thing about Blumhouse that I love is that they make very, very small movies, and they're very, very well put together. They're very well directed and written, and it just goes to show, I think, and it proves that to you. And you can make, you know, cheaply made that don't look cheap, solid kind of movies. And they made films like The Invisible Man a couple of years well. back, uh, The Hunt, for example, which was very, very good. And they were made for about $10, 12000000 million. This has made about $40 million so far and will make way more because more. it's proving to be very, very successful. Um, and that just proves it can be done. You know, like Netflix will spend $300 million on a movie, pay all the actors $20 million each, and you sit, watch it, and it's, it's awful. Whereas this isn't. It's an hour and 40 uh, minutes long. And I think that kind of uh, supports my argument down throughout the years is that what people want to see is a good good solidly well-made well-directed well-paced movie uh, rather than to sit through something that's three hours long and is a bit of a mess and is a bit all over the place um as far as it being a horror i don't think it is uh, necessarily a horror film i don't think it's particularly scary i mean there are moments of uh, kind of bloody uh, kind of um when the doll right. when, and, and when the doll goes rogue and it's a doll Exactly, yeah. yeah. So it's kind of like uh, Chucky meets the Terminator kind of okay. uh, in kind of a way, really. You know what I mean? So the story is, is that Alison Williams plays this robotics engineer. She's kind of, she, the, the, the company wants her to make these little Furby-type uh, things, computer-generated kind of things. But she's working on this doll, which is kind of an AI kind of a doll. Um, at the very start of the film, we, we find that her sister and her brother-in-law have been killed in a car crash, leaving their daughter behind. She then becomes the daughter of the Guardian. But she has no idea, the, the, the mother of the Guardian, uh, of the of, the, of her niece. the guardian of her niece exactly yeah. and so um, and she doesn't have children of her own she doesn't and she has no idea what to do she has no idea how to co even communicate with the child of course okay. who has gone through this incredibly awful experience and so she d develops finally uh, Megan uh, to be able to which stands for the by model three generative android in case you're wondering M three G A N in case you're wondering what yeah that is. because when you're looking at the title instead of E it's a it's a three M three G A N yeah. Megan yeah uh, and so she uses Megan really to, to keep the child occupied and uh, but the thing about Megan of course is that Megan uh, begins to use its computer brain to 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 kind of draw in more and more information uh, throughout the world and becomes more and more uh, kind of uh, intelligent as uh, time goes on and she's also basically given the directive to look after uh, the little girl who's played uh, by um, Violet McGraw is her name. The problem is, is that, of course, you know, uh, if a babysitter turns to um, um, Katie, played by Violet, and kind of gives out and says, don't do that, uh, then, of course, Megan sees that as a threat and so therefore begins to see the world as a bit of a threat. And, 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 and that's where the problems then begin to lie and that's where the violence uh, begins to happen. It's all very, very solidly put together, as I say. Uh, I was really, really entertained by it. People talk about how funny it is. I didn't particularly think it was particularly funny. Okay. Um, you know, I smiled <laughs> a couple of times. You know what yeah. I mean? Uh, some of the memes from the film, of course, in, on TikTok have become kind of Huge. famous. Yeah. And um, 
Um, and uh, because of that, of course, I think that has also helped uh, the film as well. But it is very good. Uh, I'm sure we've seen a lot of this kind of uh, stuff before, but there's a kind of freshness about it. And again, it's just Blumhouse being able to make something that's really solid and really entertaining in an hour and 40 minutes, which is exactly what we want. All of the performances uh, are great, and I would certainly recommend it. Okay. It is very, very much for teenagers, though. I okay, think. mark it out of 10. I'll give it a good 8. 8 out of 10. Okay, and then the second movie is The Pale Blue Eye. Yes, and we have a, a, a horror mystery, is it? Uh, yeah, and perhaps I think for me the problem with this one is that uh, look, I like films that do take their time. I always have done, but the pacing in this is one of the kind of criticisms that people have had of it. It takes an awful long time for stuff to happen, and it is kind of difficult to kind of retain any kind of enthusiasm when you're watching it, even though all, all of the performances are great and the film looks absolutely amazing. It's one of these movies. Uh, actually, I was watching a lot of. Uh, I do, you know, if you watch a lot of the uh, kind of chat shows, American chat shows, uh, for a while there, uh, all you know. Ev- I said to myself, is everybody in Hollywood Irish at the moment? Because there are so many Irish actors in Hollywood at the moment. Which is great. Which is very, very good. But at the same time, you kind of wonder about a movie like this, which is an American movie. It's set in America, and it's got an all-British cast. And I do wonder how Americans feel about this, you know, because they do say that 90% of uh, actors are out of work at any time. And I don't know how American actors feel about uh, a film like this where they're American characters with an all-British cast. I don't know how they feel about that. Some of the accents, too, are slightly dodgy as well. Um, But Look, most of the performances are, are very, very good. It's a film that's set in uh, 1830, and a cadet, a West Point cadet, has been murdered. So they bring in Christian Bale, who plays the character of Augustus Lander, and he is a uh, an investigator. And um, uh, there's a death uh, at West Point, and he begins to realise there's something. It's not a suicide. Uh, there's something much more kind of deep and dark. Uh, Sinister here. going on here. Exactly. I mean, part of it, uh, the, the, the body becomes mutilated. They then find uh, another body, which has been mutilated in a very, very same similar way. They then find animals uh, that, that have also been slaughtered in a very, very similar way. So he then begins to realise that not only do we have a, senior, a serial killer at uh, work here, uh, but we also have uh, the occult involved here as well. Uh, to help him along the way, he meets up uh, with um, uh, the character of uh, Edgar Allan Poe, the, the great writer, who is actually at West Point at this very, very time, which uh, I thought was kind of interesting back in the 1830s. And that, that really happened. Uh, well, yeah. that, that, well, he was there he was at that there. time. But, yeah, that, but yeah. this is a completely... Yeah, this is is a piece of fiction and he begins to kind of um, have a friendship uh, with um, uh, Edgar Allan Poe uh, to help him kind of uh, solve uh, the mystery Um, as I say all British cast you've got Christian Bale who I have problems with in the past I think there are times when he's just a little bit too kind of method for me but he's good here Uh, the best actor in this actually is Harry Melling now he plays Edgar Allan Poe do you know who he is by any chance? No Uh, he played Dudley in the Harry Potter films do you remember? yeah yeah (laughs) and the thing is that to when they just before they made the last Harry Potter film, he had lost really an awful lot of weight, and so they actually had to, you know, put a lot of makeup on him uh, to try and kind of and uh, put a fat suit on him uh, so that he would kind of resemble Dudley in some way. And in fact, over the years, he has lost a lot of weight. And his face—he's an interesting face because of it, and because of that, he's very, very expressive. He has these huge eyes. Uh, he's the grandson, actually, of um, of. Um, um, Patrick Troughton who played uh, Doctor Who back in the 60s so he comes from acting stock and he as Poe is really really good in this film he really is and um, and he's fascinating to, to watch the film is really really slow it really is it's f- far too complicated for its own good which I think you know, when you compare it to something like Megan Megan was solid and at an hour and 40 and, and, and at no stage did you feel as though you were kind of uh, you're, you were losing kind of um, concentration, sense of the plot and concentration yeah. yes, 
exactly. Yeah. Whereas with this, and there's you nothing do. worse when you're kind of saying, "Oh, is it ever going to come? Exactly, is it ever yeah. going to pick up? Is it ever uh, going to pick up?" I watched this with uh, with the daughter. Uh, an hour in, she says, "This is far too boring for me. I can't uh, deal with this." So I'm she gone. walked away. I had to sit through it, and I found it very, very difficult. The ending is a bit silly um, and kind of caught me by surprise, and but not really in a very, very good way. Um, but look, it's it's worth a watch. Um, you do need patience to watch it, though. You really do. I think it could have been so much better. Take a half an hour out of it, and it could have been really, really good. But um, it's it's beautiful to look at, and uh, and it's an interesting film as opposed to a particularly really good film. Mark that one out of ten. I'll give it six. Six out of ten. Okay, and that is the pale blue um, eye. And we had the um, BAFTA nominations yesterday. Um, Ireland doing well. Ten for the Banshees of Inisherin. Uh, yeah. yeah, and Paul Meskell's in there as well. Yeah, I think, and yeah. so many others. Yeah, so and this other actor who was in Fair City. A young actor, Daryl McCormack. He's originally from uh, County Tipperary. He's in something called Good Luck to You, uh, Leo Grande. So it means that there's three Irish actors in the Best Actor. He was category. in the, yeah, the Good Luck to You, Leo Grande was the film with Emma Thompson. Uh, yeah, just that's it. That's uh, it. And uh, he was terrific in that. He re- I've seen it. I never really got a chance to to, to, to review it. Uh, but he's he's a very fine young actor. He really is. So, yeah, and he yeah. started out in, in Fair City and thrilled on the Banshees that also on Best Supporting Actor, um, Brendan Gleeson's got the nod so was Barry Keown yep. and Kerry Condon I thought they she was have. fantastic in it. yeah she was fabulous. brilliant yeah. it was brilliant okay we will look forward to that listen thank you for that and uh, have a good week and we'll, do, we'll chat to you uh, next Friday I've got to go thanks to John Paul Nick Witcher for the afternoon talk Born to you Monday today 10 on C103 with Corrigan Insurance's McCroom now part of McCarthy Insurance Group want great advice you know who to talk to cmig.ie Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. And if you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. It streamlines your processes to make your business more efficient, which makes you less busy. Mail checks, invoices, legal documents, and everything you need to keep your business running with Stamps.com. Seamlessly connect with every major marketplace and shopping cart. Schedule package pickups and see your cheapest and fastest shipping options from different carriers. With rates up to 89% off USPS and UPS rates. And with the Stamps.com mobile app, you can take care of mailing and shipping wherever you are. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Sign up with code PROGRAM for a 4-week trial, plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's Stamps.com. Code PROGRAM.